Hey, you're listening to the C3 Network Podcast with Dan Holland. Our mission is to create a network of micro churches that are finding, teaching, and equipping people to be on mission. Our hope is that this encourages you. Be sure to leave us a review so you can help us share our message with more people who need to hear it. And now, Dan Holland. Welcome back. Today, let's dig further into our series called Love Out Loud. Now, the purpose of this series is to examine what Scripture has to say about how we are to relate to and treat one another in the family of God. And specifically, we're focusing on those texts that are referred to as the one another passages. Now, our focus the first week was the one another that sums up all the one another's, and that's the command to love one another. The challenge in week one was to was to pray and to memorize and live out 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12. Let's say it together. It's on the screen. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and everyone else. Now, as we have discussed over the past several weeks, the outworking of loving one another comes in a lot of different forms. Accept one another, admonish one another, encourage one another, forgive one another, etc. Now, today... We're focusing on the one another emphasized by Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Paul says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Praying for one another was something the early church leaders, they took very seriously. When Christ's followers love each other well, It has a huge impact. In an article in Christianity Christianity Today entitled, Empty Pews Are an American Public Health Crisis, opened with this following story. The Reverend William Glass is an Anglican priest and theologian, fluent in five languages and possessing an impressive resume in marketing. His story isn't one of privilege, however. In Glass's view, the church saved his life. See, Glass grew up desperately poor in a Florida trailer park. His family went to church perhaps, I don't know, once a year, but his religious background was, in his words, Southern alcoholic. His father was either absent or abusive, so he had no close friends. And when he attended school, it was a torment. Barely into his teens, he began to manage the stress with drugs and alcohol. But then Glass visited as a Presbyterian youth group to... Well, initially to impress a girl, it didn't change everything overnight. He continued to have a rough life, including a brush with homelessness. But Glass also had friends in churches who took care of him during crisis, helping him stay connected and showed him another way to live. As Glass sees it, church, above all, offered him social and relational capital. That was in short supply in his fragmented communities. Now, stories like this are in no short supply. The evidence of the life-changing impact of regular participation with fellow believers is overwhelming. But as the article goes on to emphasize that fewer and fewer people are showing up to be connected with fellow believers these days. Why? Now, there are a lot of different opinions, but I would suggest that church is easier to walk away from when it's Well, when it's nothing more than a gathering of loosely connected people or people who may be close, but no longer live on mission. That is 
so far from what God intended for his church to be. Amen. God created the church to be family. Scripture has a lot to say about how we are to relate to and care for one another as the family of God. And today we're focused on that one another that's emphasized by Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Be alert, he said, and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. See, praying for one another was something the early church leaders took very seriously. In fact, nearly every prayer in the New Testament is offered on behalf of someone else. I want you to think about that. We certainly see Paul's devotion to prayer in the words he speaks to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. He said, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Do we share this same degree of devotion to praying for one another? Do we pray for one another constantly, night and day? Many of you do. I'm thinking specifically about people who have prayed diligently for Beth and I over the years. They're serious. I'm so thankful for all of you who are so devoted to prayer for us and for one another. For some of us, though, prayer is easy to promise. Follow through is often another story. Prayer is easy to promise, right? And it's easy to skip. It's so easy to say, I'll be praying for you, but never actually get around to the praying part. And by the way, when you say to someone that, hey, I'll pray for you, and then not do it, you break a promise of sorts. So it's kind of like a double whammy. God's call is clear. Pray for one another. So let me remind you why prayer is one of the best things that we can do for ourselves and for one another. First, praying for one another helps you get the right perspective. See, in any given day, who do you suppose I spend the majority of my time thinking about? If you think the answer is you, well, bless you for thinking of me more highly than you ought. I hate to admit it, but I spend far more time thinking about well, me, than anyone else. And typically, my thoughts are consumed with what is going on in my life, the things I want, the worries I have, the challenges I need solved. I have a hunch, though, that I'm not the only one who tends to be a little too, uh, shall we say, self-consumed. Yet in Philippians 2, we're reminded that imitating Jesus requires us to be more concerned about others than we are about ourselves. Take, for example, Philippians uh, 2. We're going to read verse, start with verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. See, key to healthy family relationships is being other-focused rather than self-centered. Praying for all the Lord's people is one of the best ways to break our focus on self. It helps remind me that the wants, the needs, fears, frustrations of my brothers and sisters are just as important as mine. Mine are important, but theirs are also important. And often it'll put things into perspective for us. It's really hard to be daily praying for a child battling cancer day in and day out and begin then at the same time to complain about a bad hair day. When you pray for others, it moves your focus off of your own worries, lack of contentment, and unnecessary stresses and helps move you to a bigger eternal perspective. 
Right now, we have Christian brothers and sisters suffering in Ukraine. Just saying, my concern with my double mocha frappe drink because the bistro forgot the whipped cream will seem a little silly if I'm in daily prayer for my brothers and sisters suffering much, much worse. How well do you think someone would do at living out the one another's that we've discussed in this series when they are consumed with themselves? Not well at all. When that is my mindset, I am far more focused on being a recipient rather than a practitioner of the one another commands. Praying for others, however, has the potential to absolutely change that. When I bring the needs of others before God, it puts me in prime position to learn how I can be an answer. For, for, for instance, when I pray for a person who is hurting, the Holy Spirit may impress on me to send a text of encouragement. When I pray for a person who is struggling to fit in, maybe the Holy Spirit impresses on me to invite that person out to lunch. You get the idea? When we truly pray for one another, not just, not just offer lip service, but it, show, it slows us down. It opens us up to hear how God desires us to best serve and love one another. And let me say it this way. Praying for one another should result in the practice of the one another passages. Accept one another. Encourage one another. Forgive one another. All right, second. Praying for one another is important because we're in a spiritual battle. I realize that war imagery can feel a little uncomfortable, but Paul makes it clear that we are a people who are at war, whether we want to be or not. Listen to the words that he writes in Ephesians chapter 6, starting with verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You see, the evil one is constantly scheming to move us in the direction of rebellion because he knows this will cause major problems in our relationships, both with God and each other. Creating division in the physical and spiritual family is what Satan is all about. He spends every waking moment scheming, con conniving, and devising ways to convince us to act selfishly with zero regard to the impact that our actions have on one another. And make no mistake, we are sitting ducks if we rely on our own wits and strength or, or our ability to, to fight this fight. We will fail miserably. As Paul reminds us, we must defend ourselves with spiritual armor and fight with spiritual weapons to be victorious. The two primary weapons that we have to fight with are the word of God, that's truth, and prayer. Ephesians 6.18, read a moment ago, Paul reminds us that we are to fight not only for ourselves, but also for each other. It's when he said, with this in mind, be alert and always, always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. You know, there's a temptation to gloss over or grow really lax in praying for those who have requested prayer, but we can't afford to do that. These hurting people who have gone out on a limb to request prayer have the fiery arrows of the evil one whizzing by their head. Satan is hoping to use whatever difficult circumstances they're going through to steal their hope, faith, maybe even steal their integrity 
Paul is calling us, you and me, to get in the trenches to fight with them, even for them. Because Satan never takes a day off, we mustn't either. Paul says, always keep on praying for the Lord's people. If you're not already in the habit, find a few minutes each day to pray for your brothers and sisters who are going through hard times. This is what families do. They fight for each other. And families who fight for each other do not tend to fight with each other. Amen. Nearly as often anyways. Now, unfortunately, in this spiritual battle, there are occasions when Satan gets the best of us. No one comes out of this battle unscathed. We all sin. We all fall to temptations. Hopefully, with less frequency today than a year ago. But as long as we are breathing, there will be moments of failure. And that's not an excuse for sin, don't get me wrong, but simply a statement of reality. Each time we give in to sin, it leaves deep wounds like guilt and shame, regret, despair, poor self-esteem, questioning God's desire or, or his ability to forgive us. You, you get the point. And I'm guessing that more than a few of us are still suffering from sin wounds even though we're no longer engaging in that particular sin. It is God's desire not only to set you free from sin, but also to heal the wounds that are left by sin. Listen, in James chapter 5, we're reminded that it is our prayers for one another that often brings about the healing that we so desperately need. James chapter 5, verse 16, write this down. Therefore, confess your sins to each other, and pray for each other so that you may be healed. When you become aware of someone who is struggling with sin, definitely pray for him or her to be set free, but don't stop praying even when it appears that they have, they, they, they're having a greater victory over that sin. Instead, double up your efforts for that person to experience full and complete restoration. Now, let me mention one more reason why praying for one another is so vitally important. See, God desires to respond to our prayers, but we have to pray. James puts it very bluntly in James 4, 2, one of my favorite verses. You do not have, he said, because you do not ask God. There are so many things that God would love to do for us, as well as others, through us, as well as others, and in us and others, but he's waiting for us to ask. When we ask, good things happen. James drives this point home by pointing to the example of Elijah. Let's turn over to James chapter 5. He said, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Now, some question if prayer really makes a difference. Isn't God just going to do what God's already going to do? I don't pretend to know all that there is to know about prayer, but this passage makes it super clear that a season of drought and rain was a direct result of the prayers of Elijah. Okay, we say, but Elijah was special. He was a prophet of God. He had the ear of God in a way that I don't. James says that's not true. So just ask. I like to think of ask as an acronym, A-S-K, ask, seek, and knock. Yes, Elijah was a prophet chosen by God to speak on his behalf. But at the end of the day, he was 
quite literally no different than you or me, just an ordinary human being. James, however, does highlight a couple of characteristics of Elijah that resulted in God responding favorably to his prayers. And these are important. James pointed out in verse 17 that, that it is the prayers of the righteous that are powerful and effective. Elijah is then used as an example of what occurs when a righteous person prays. What does it mean to be righteous? Well, it simply means to live right. It means a right standing with God. Striving to live up to God's standards is absolutely a must if we desire for our prayers for one another to be answered favorably. We cannot expect God to meet our every wish for ourselves and others if we're living in rebellion to his ways. God's not our personal genie in a bottle. He's the Lord who delights in helping all of those who are devoted to him. Listen to the words of scripture, Psalm 34, 17. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. Proverbs 15, 29. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. See, not only was Elijah a righteous man and he prayed earnestly. He didn't just pray once or twice for rain. He prayed and he prayed and he kept on praying. You get it? There's no guarantee that if we just stick with it long enough that God's going to say yes to our request. However, there is something about persevering in prayer that God seems to honor. It's, it's like chopping down a tree. Some trees fall with one swoop of the ax, but other trees take blow after blow after blow of the ax in order to fall. We often give up too easily in our prayers when with one swipe of the ax, we don't see the tree fall. How come God didn't answer me? I'm sure all of us can attest to hearing stories where people have been praying for years for someone until something happened. Persistent prayer always pays off. It doesn't always get answered the way you may be praying. Again, Jesus is not your personal genie, but persistent prayer always pays off. Praying for a person to be saved day after day after day after day, at a minimum, will begin to change you and give you a heart for lost people. Praying for your spouse day after day after day will, at a very minimum, provide you with greater compassion for them. Just keep chopping the tree. Keep praying. Be, be persistent. In fact, on one occasion, Jesus told his disciples a story about a widow and a judge to impress this exact point on their heart. This story is in the book of Luke. Chapter 18, start with verse 1. So Jesus told this, his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, 
When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So let me leave you with a question and a challenge. First, the question. If Jesus returned today, would he declare you to be a person who had enough faith to keep going to God in prayer on behalf of yourself and others? Now for the challenge. Why not make it a point each time that you come together with other believers to ask at least one person how you can pray for him or her and then actually pray. It just might change your life and theirs. In fact, let me pray that for you right now. Father in heaven, what is most amazing to me in this moment is that the creator of the universe listens to us when we pray. Father in heaven, you know our motives. You know our fears. You know everything about us, and yet you hear us when we pray. I pray, Father, for all of those listening, that you will fill us with your spirit, that you will live in us and out of us. I pray, Father, that you will help us to walk in faithfulness. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you like this podcast, we post a new episode each week. So be sure to subscribe and leave us a review so you can help share our message. We'll see you next time.